Welcome to the Kintsugi Life podcast with me, Toby Hazelwood. Kintsugi Life is about learning, growing and strengthening from the times of adversity and challenge that we all go through. It's about valuing them as part of what makes us who we are. Right now, let's get into the content. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Kintsugi Life podcast with me, Toby Hazelwood. In this episode, I want to be talking about a topic which is potentially somewhat uncomfortable to talk about, but something that I believe is really important, and that's about accepting death as an inherent part of life. And I want to share with you why it is that I'm trying to get more comfortable with my own mortality, and why I think others should do the same. My paternal grandfather lived to the impressive age of 93. His eyesight deteriorated in his 70s, and towards the end of his life, he succumbed to Alzheimer's disease. For most of his life, though, he enjoyed good health and possessed a keen and humorous mind. He retired from work around the same time as I was born, and for most of my childhood, we lived next door to each other. He'd often say that he and I had grown up together, and I appreciated the sentiment. He played tennis into his 70s, and he and my grandmother lived independently for most of their lives. That's not bad luck for a guy born on Friday the 13th, 1913. I know less of my maternal grandfather, as there was less overlap between our lives. He was, by all accounts, a quiet and serious man, who had a meticulous and creative mind and a pioneering spirit of adventure. When my mum was just a few years old, he set out from England to establish a new home for his family in Vancouver, Canada. From notes in his journal, life was tough during that time, and on many occasions he was down to his last few coins, with no certainty that things would turn out as he wished. Eventually, though, through hard work and determination, he established a foothold and his family emigrated to join him in Canada in the 1950s. He later bought a rural smallholding on the Gulf Islands off the coast of Vancouver, where he and my grandmother retired. They built a home and lived a life of self-sufficiency, caring for each other, their land and a flock of sheep. He died of a heart attack around the age of 55 when I was just a couple of years old. As I reflect upon the lives of both my grandfathers, I'm proud to have inherited traits and characteristics from them both. I'm an amalgamation of their genes, and those of many of my ancestors before them. I'm blessed and somewhat in awe of that process. What can I derive though from their lives in trying to predict how my own life will play out? Both fought in World War II and survived unscathed. Neither smoked, although my paternal granddad confessed that he occasionally lit his Royal Air Force issued cigarettes while stationed in Gibraltar to keep the mosquitoes away while he was using the outhouse. Neither drank alcohol to excess, and both lived active lives. I doubt that I've respected my body as much as either of them did, although I try and make sensible decisions in my health, more rather than the bad ones. I go to the gym, I eat healthily, and I exercise often. So can I assume that I'll live an average of their ages at my death? Will I live to either 93 or 55? Will I even last that long? The truthful answer is that nobody really knows least of all me. By the time you read this or listen to this, I may have been struck by an errant meteor and vaporised on impact. I hope not, but it could happen. 
What can be relied upon is that sooner or later I will die. We all will. I've been thinking a lot about life and death lately. It's not an unhealthy, morbid or ghoulish fascination. In part, it's been due to my continuing exploration of Stoicism. It's also been shaped by a few recent events in my close family, and more widely in the world at large. Depending on when, when you listen to this, the uh, recent helicopter crash that claimed Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and other souls amongst, amongst other things that has affected my outlook. More than ever, ever before, I'm aware that life is fragile and frail, and not something that can ever be taken for granted. What I've also come to realise is that it's always been this way. I've only just begun to accept and understand that. So here's how I see that playing out. We all have a terminal prognosis. My father-in-law was diagnosed with aggressive prostate cancer a little over a year ago. It's certainly a life-ending illness, although nobody seems able or willing to predict how long he might live. He's been through arduous and unpleasant treatments, which have been somewhat effective. Nonetheless, the impression that I get, particularly from him, is that we're on a final countdown of sorts. Family trips are planned with greater urgency. He often talks of a last this, or a final that. I fight an instinct, instinct to correct him in a vain hope of encouraged positivity and optimism, if only for the benefit of his family, my wife included. What also goes through my mind is to remind him that this could be my last or final day too, and the same is true for us all. It's an uncomfortable thought, but it's a fact nonetheless. Stoic philosophers advocated carrying a memento mori, as a means of reminding ourselves that life is limited. These usually take the form of a physical token or an artistic representation, such as a coin, that when viewed or touched, prompts its owner to remember that their death is an inevitability. A terminal disease such as cancer brings certainty to impending death for the patient. It heightens their awareness that time is limited. The clock ticks more loudly and life speeds towards its inevitable conclusion. For years now, I've taken for granted that my own life, and the lives of those I love dearly, would conform to a predictable norm in lifespan terms. I happily lived with the assumption that in being blessed with reasonable health, and a cosseted first world existence, I could count on enjoying 70 or 80 plus years on this earth. This may or may not prove to be the case though. I found myself contemplating the substance behind this assumption, and I wonder why I've trusted it with such conviction for so long. The reality is that we're all going to die, and nobody really knows when their time will be up. Assuming you buy into this proposition, the next logical question seems to be how we might adapt our way of life, so to make the best of every second we have available to us. So how to live while being mindful of death? Well, a short-sighted response might be to live with a devil-may-care attitude, unconcerned for the long-term consequences of our choices and our actions. That would be encapsulated in the live fast, die young philosophy, doing, eating, drinking, consuming and saving, saying whatever the hell we want, with little concern for the consequences, or for what might happen tomorrow. While it's easy to see the appeal of such a mindset, that denies a couple of basic realities. First, nobody really wants their end to come about sooner than necessary by taking unnecessary risk. 
And second, nobody can predict with certainty that their end will come before their excesses catch up with them. Many rock stars have lived a life of abandon, only to live long enough into old age with the consequences of their former lifestyle as a burden to carry. There seem to be few ways of living a positive life that acknowledge the ever-present possibility of imminent death. They won't suit everyone, particularly those who vainly believe that their lifespan is guaranteed 70, 80 or 90 years. These are the principles though that I'm trying to adopt in my own life. First, never put off something until tomorrow that you can do today. There will be legitimate reasons why some things get delayed or aren't practical in the moment. When you have a choice, it seems sensible not to delay something voluntarily. This would apply whether you're considering making a parachute jump, phoning your mother or asking someone on a date. The same logic applies in not holding off saying I love you or I'm sorry, just as it applies to reaching out to make amends, making the first move and in refusing to bear a grudge. The opportunity you now have may be the only one you ever get and surely it's better to take the chance in the moment rather than to live or die regretting the things you didn't do or say. Next, when the bad things happen, don't waste further time complaining about it. Bad things will happen which will steal your precious time. A traffic jam will turn a half hour commute into three hours of bumper to bumper misery. A flight will be delayed inexplicably by a couple of hours. A meeting at work will drag endlessly leaving you with work to catch up on afterwards. And you'll sit through a movie for two hours and regret that you didn't walk out after 15 minutes. Time will be lost and you can accept that and move on or you can magnify the loss, replaying it and complaining to it about to anyone who'll listen about it, squandering further precious minutes of your life. Don't take for granted that doing the right things buys you extra time. It may be dangerous to believe that by living virtuously, eating healthily, exercising, taking vitamins and washing our hands frequently that we're guaranteed a long and vital life. But we shouldn't forsake them either. And that's not to say that you shouldn't do these things for the benefits of your health in their own right. But it would be wrong to take for granted that they'll pay off as you expect them to. A better outlook would perhaps to be seek to seek to win every play, to make the best decision for your health, your well-being and your happiness in each and every instance. A further tactic may be to seek balance in all things, not allowing too much indulgence, but not denying yourself excessively either. The next lesson is that time isn't any less precious or expendable in youth than in older age. It frustrates me when I consider the amount of time my kids waste swiping at their smartphones instead of actually living their lives. They browse endlessly through photos on Instagram, Snapchat and Facebook, registering their approval for the lives of others while ironically wasting their own lives as mere spectators. I try to convince them that they're wasting precious seconds of their lives. Yet as an adult, I'm as guilty as wa of wasting time myself, drifting aimlessly between multiple tasks and making little progress with any of them. I'll binge watch a series on Netflix and I could have been doing something more enriching. I get that we all need time spent relaxing, kids even more so as their bodies and minds grow and develop. It's a fallacy though to think that an hour wasted means less as a kid than as an adult. It's still an hour lost from our lifetime allocation. 
and maybe we'd all do well to consider the opportunity cost of that lost hour a little more before committing the time to it. Some time has to be invested for our future. Time is more important as a resource than money, but life demands that we invest time and money for the benefit of our future selves. We encourage our kids to do their homework and study to earn qualifications to equip themselves to thrive in the future. As adults, our time must also be invested in doing things that keep our worlds ticking along smoothly. We need to clean our home, take time out for our spouse, play with the kids and keep it on top of admin. They have to be accepted as part of our daily life. It may not always want be how we want to spend our time, particularly if we acknowledge it as scarce and precious. But it's part of investing in our future lives, just as continuing our lifelong education and keeping fit at the gym are part of ensuring we're primed to get the best out of life. Don't see this investment as a cost or detractor from your life, but rather as a means of sustaining it. None of those principles are intended to help us accept or become comfortable with the presence of death looming over us. That's not really the point though, and I think the Stoic philosophers knew that. The point of Morento Mori isn't to scare ourselves or discourage us from living, but it's about ensuring that we're realistic about our eventual fate, and in the meantime living in such a way that allows us to get the best out of every moment of every day. Whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, death is never present possibility for us all. All we have is the choice over how we live with that as a reality. We can't assume that we're guaranteed through strong genes or through any karmic right to enjoy a life of a certain duration. Just because one of my grandfathers lived to 93 and the other to 55 has little bearing over whether I'll live beyond either of those ages. It's seductive to imagine life with a guaranteed 80 or 90 years on earth, a carefree youth, 30 or 40 years working and closing with a calm and steady 30 years of retirement watching our descendants follow the same path through life as we've taken. For many, that's a reality. But it's only one possibility, albeit one that many of us take for granted throughout much of our life. Those who take the best care of their health, avoiding junk food, alcohol, illicit drugs and exercising daily are just as susceptible to being killed in traffic accidents as the hedonists who pay scant attention to their health. It might seem unfair, but many good people die young and some of the cruelest and most evil and negligent live long and healthy lives. There is no justice, but justice isn't what it's really all about. There is no life without time, and our time is limited and diminishing from the moment we're born. If I could somehow guarantee that I have 80 years to live on this earth, at the age of 44, right now, I might consider that I have 36 years of life left to do. Alternatively, I might contemplate that I'm already 44 years dead. How will I live so that I don't spend a second lamenting that the time is running out without frightening myself literally to death? That's the challenge, and it's one that we all share, to make the best out of life without prematurely uttering, ushering ourselves towards death and without ignoring that it will happen eventually. I don't think that living with this acknowledgement has to mean a life lived in fear or with undue reserve or carelessness. Instead, it means living with awareness and consciousness. I hope you get what I'm saying in that, and I hope you find some use in it. And until next time, this is Toby Hazelwood from Kintsugi Life saying goodbye.
You've been listening to the Kintsugi Life Podcast with me, Toby Hazelwood. You can email me on toby at tobyhazelwood.com. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love for you to leave me a positive review if you feel unworthy of one. And I'd also love for you to share this with anyone else who you think might benefit from the content. Until next time, this is Toby Hazelwood saying goodbye.